0: Hey, this is Jalen Howell of the U.S. women's soccer team, and you're listening to Trained Body and Mind. Oh, hello. Welcome to Trained Body and Mind, a podcast exploring the cutting edge of holistic fitness. I'm your host, Jacqueline Beyer. Each episode, I connect with the world's leading experts and athletes to talk about mindset, movement, nutrition, recovery, and sleep, what we like to call the five facets of fitness. Today, I'm talking with a journalist and author from the UK who's one of the loudest global voices for why women need sport and sport needs women.
1: I guess I just want us to stop shutting women and girls down and just allow them to continue that trajectory of freedom and confidence and exploration and play, because I think it will just take us all men and women to a much better place.
0: That's Anna Kessel of Sky Sports in London. She's been a sports journalist for nearly two decades and has written for The Guardian, The Daily Telegraph, and The Observer. Her writing, especially when it comes to women's football, has been so impactful she was awarded an MBE as part of the 90th birthday honors of Queen Elizabeth II. And yes, I had to look up MBE, which apparently stands for Most Excellent Order of the British Empire. Many consider Anna's book, Eat, Sweat, Play, to be a must read at the nexus of feminism and sport. In this episode, Anna breaks down the history of women's athletics, shares important context about sexism and sport, and suggests how we can redefine the entrenched narrative in this space. You know, I'd love to start this. We can call it the story of women in sport at Wembley Stadium this past summer. It's July. We're in the throes of a fantastic Women's Euro final. There's more than 81,000 fans in the stands to watch England beat Germany two to one in extra time. And as if on cue, Chloe Kelly has one of those iconic Nike sports bra moments. It was a moment for sure. But I'm curious what about that moment really mattered to you?
1: Oh, you just really transported me there and I've got goosebumps (laughs) back again. Right. First of all, I was there with my six-year-old. My husband was there with the 11-year-old, but I was there with the six-year-old and it was a pretty late kickoff and it was really, really hot and there were so many people. And my six-year-old, as it went into extra time, fell asleep on my shoulder Now, of course, when Chloe Kelly scored and we all leapt up, including me, she was (laughs) jolted awake and swept up in this incredible euphoric moment. And it just held so much to it in the sense that you know we never actually win anything (laughs) it's been since 1966 we've got a song about it 30 years of hurt well it's now you know 60 years of hurt. and finally the women did it and there was so much on social media after that win sort of saying you know (laughs) ffs just let the women do it because we'll bring it home and then the fact that she whipped off her top and repeated really that iconic brandy chastain moment from 99 from across the way from you guys i think for us to have our own chastain moment have our own sports bra moment was really really powerful
0: would you say there was also maybe a flip side to that and you know you wrote about this in the telegraph a bit the angle maybe of there being still so much more that needs to be done
1: can you talk a little bit about that oh god where do we start um i mean we are going through this period of so much jubilation about the women's game and so much talk and commitment about rolling it out across the country. But let's check ourselves. This is the number one sport in our country, football, right? And yet, only 8% of the girls in this country are doing enough physical activity, 8%, and that is half the number of boys. Not all girls in this country are able to access our national sport, which we pay for through our taxes. And so if you walk past a school playground, as I often do, because I have two daughters at primary school, you will see that football is being played predominantly by boys, and they are taking up the whole of the physical space of the playground. And girls are often told that they can't play, as my own daughter's experienced, because they are girls. And to hear that as a four-year-old girl who's just started school, which happens to my eldest, to encounter sexism in such an obvious way and for it to be through the national sport, through football, is really painful, Mm. I think. You know, that that was her first door-shut-in-the-face moment. But then, you know, even if you don't care whether your daughters play football, the very fact that boys are taking up, are manspreading the leisure space, the privileged space in every playground around the country, I think is really worrying and disturbing that girls are being pushed to the physical boundaries of that space. And what does that say to women and girls about you know, how much space they should take up in life and what their opportunities are and what the dynamic is between two genders if boys are allowed to do that from a very young age. And I just think that's deeply disturbing. Whether you like football or not, that's something that has to change. Mm
0: -hmm. Thinking back to your experience in primary school with physical education and with sport, maybe with football in particular, has anything changed for the better since then?
1: Yeah, it has. It definitely has. I mean... You know, my generation, I was born not that many years after the ban on women and girls playing football was lifted, right? It was less than 10 years before I was born that that ban existed. And the repercussions of that hung heavy. I didn't grow up playing football. It didn't even occur to me that I should. I saw my friends who were male playing out in the street and how did they know how to play football? Because I didn't know, they just seemed to be born with it. It was like a biological predetermination and I think that idea was and still is to some degree lodged in our society as though women just don't biologically have the ability to play sport or to play football. There's something innate within us that makes it not possible. And it's because we don't recognize the whole piece of history, the 50-year ban on the women's game in this country, and the fact that it was so successful on the eve of the ban. And in fact, women were making money out of it and giving it to charity, God forbid. But then even when the ban was revoked, the repercussions of that were felt, you know, there were PE teachers and and schools that were not in the habit of teaching women's football. The women and girls game was left out in the wilderness, really. And we only set up our first professional league in 2011. So that was another, you know, 40 years. So we're really, really young in the process. What do you think
0: maybe are some of the positive drivers that will help us achieve change by the time, you know, your oldest daughter maybe has a 10-year-old or a six-year-old in physical education and sport herself?
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, I think people are realizing that women's football or women playing sport is liberating. It's cool. It's empowering. It gives us a space potentially to play where we can cast off a lot of the kind of shackles of what it means to be a woman or a girl in the modern world. You know, we, when you think about social media and some of the more toxic parts of it, when we think about how objectified Women and girls are. There was a study in this country of one of the national tabloids, The Sun, uh, where a a feminist group monitored the pages of the newspaper over a period of six months and found that the vast majority of imagery of women was static.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm familiar with this one.
1: So we're always being posed as kind of objects and performing for the camera in this really quite disturbing way, and that really is debilitating and limits our physical capacity to move. Whereas on the field of play, if you want to excel in a game of football or any other sport, you have to think about your function, you're thinking about your skill set, how your muscle's moving, you're not thinking about how your face looks. Um, and to have a space to play in where we're free from those judgments and those limitations, I think, wow. who? I mean, who wouldn't want their daughters to be able to access that? Mm-hmm. That is a really powerful space to access.
0: So you mentioned media and social media, and I definitely want to spend some time there. And I think there's a passage from your book that will lead us into that nicely. And I want to fangirl on your book for a second, oh. Eat, Sweat, Play. I read it a few months ago. I'm that person who highlights uh, the recreational reading, and I will say that your book was a two-highlight book, I'm a real ink drainer. Wow. Uh, and one of the many lines that I highlighted, in my humble opinion, is incredibly important, and it will segue nicely into this conversation around media. You wrote, I watched the little girls in my daughter's nursery, and mostly they were so confident. They expressed their opinions. They know what they want to play with, what they feel. Why does this confidence evaporate as they grow? Girls are not the problem. 12-year-olds are not inherently diva-ass madams. Our social culture sends messages that sport is unfeminine, makes us sweaty and muscular, that sport is swearing and violence. It is ugliness in a world where a woman's sole priority value should be beauty. So <laughs> help me unpack that one a little bit, Anna. I know you, you just briefly talked about it, but let's dig, let's
1: dig a little deeper there. I mean, you're a mother, right? So you see from even before they're born, these kind of gender stereotypes are placed on our children. And it's as damaging for boys. We just don't talk about it enough. Uh, Because it's not helpful to to boys to be told to be macho and to deny their feelings and all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. But it's certainly debilitating for girls, particularly when you think about the patriarchal structures that exist in our society. We always have the sport in our house And because predominantly sport on TV or sport in the newspapers is always men. And in 2013, my eldest daughter, she was not even two years old and it was the women's Euros and it was on TV. And for the first time, this under two child (laughs) sat staring at the TV, completely captivated by these women playing football because she just wasn't used to seeing it. And mm-hmm. I sort of sat there watching her like, wow, why is she so interested? And then I thought, I know why, because she sees herself. She recognises herself on the TV. And all the other times that we've had the Men's Premier League on, she's not seen herself in the That's same so way. Cool. It, it doesn't have that same potency. It taught me how deeply this stuff goes. You don't even need to have an intellectual capacity to process it. Mm-hmm. It just hits hard from a very young age. So, you know, it just kind of made me laugh. I think that we really need to take a different lens to these dynamics about men and women's behaviors and really unpack it much further. Uh, I think at the moment we're operating on on tropes that are really ancient and very sexist and from a, a time beyond uh, the current date.
0: I agree. I love all of this. Let's do it. Let's talk about it more. And I think I would love to even talk about it, not just in professional sports, but the world that a lot of women listening live in, which is our fitness world, essentially the narrative of, you know, women are supposed to be pretty, not be too muscular, not get sweaty. Women are compared to men. This resonates across all forms of movement. So I think it's okay if we go back and forth between pro sports um, and women just trying to move their bodies. Speaking of that, (laughs) we've done a little bit of this, but, you know, we don't hear that masculine versus athletic conversation, but we often hear the feminine versus athletic, like you can't be both. Why do you think that is?
1: I think because we're we're being told to operate in such a tiny straitjacket of what women can look like. It's a really problematic box that we try to put women in. It's very Western beauty standards centric. It's very predicated on whiteness. And kind of heteronormative ideas about what women should look like. And I think the, the next generation, I'm really heartened to see actually, are kind of disrupting some of this stuff. Like, you know, I'm, I'm seeing some wild things on Instagram. Well, they seem wild to me because I've grown up in this, this ridiculous straitjacket. But I'm really heartened to see women kind of rejecting some of these beauty norms and also I think brands and advertisers too embracing sweat and um, thinking about muscle as powerful and as beautiful someone like Dina Asher Smith mm-hmm. being a Vogue cover mm-hmm. you know with her muscles glistening and just really sharing a different way of being beautiful because ultimately it only serves us if beauty is a spectrum that everybody can access and something that, that is playful and enjoyable rather than a standard to hold us against to deny us access to spaces that could be opportunities for women but yeah we're we're consistently shut out from yeah what do you think it's going to take
0: for people to start to call bullshit on that i think you mentioned a few things but from the individual level to the systemic level
1: I think so often when we're thinking about opportunities for women, we kind of put the emphasis on women as individuals. So there's loads and loads of training courses about how to be more confident. Women are not confident enough. We really need to sort ourselves out. I don't know why we're such shy, retiring wallflowers. What's wrong with us? If only we were more resilient and would put ourselves forward for jobs, wouldn't the world be a better place? Yes, we do have a certain amount of autonomy and power in making our own individual choices and we should never forget that. But ultimately, we as individuals are trying to operate within a structural system that does not embrace women, that is not friendly to women. And until we really recognize that it's the space that's the problem, not the individual, I don't think we can ever really shift the dial enough. So I think what you're talking about you
0: know, is, is ultimately sexism and that comes in a lot of different conversations in a lot of different ways. It's really a daily issue, would you say?
1: Yeah. There's no way that you can walk down the street and not experience sexism. So do you feel like
0: the more we talk about it, the higher the potential for it to get diluted or for people to think, oh, we're just complaining about it or get over it at this point or it's not that big of a deal? Like, how do you write about it and communicate about it in a way that makes it fresh and relevant and that it is an urgent and important issue still?
1: I think that's a really good question. It's important to talk about our feelings about it. And it's important to have the emotions and those conversations where we recognize each other's experiences. But it's also important to kind of professionalize this stuff, to interrogate it in an academic way, um, to understand that it's something really deep rooted. And so it deserves all of those professional tools and skill sets to dismantle it. There's so many different ways that this manifests. I mean, Serena Williams talked about it after she had... Um, her child, and you know, went through these health problems of blood clots and so on. She held that really important conversation about how black women are five times more likely to die in childbirth than white women. So, there's an intersectional piece to it as well. And then when you transpose all this stuff into sport, <laughs> I mean, again, you know, how can you compare men and women's sport? We think about marginal gains for the very best top athletes. Well, how can women have marginal gains when we still don't fundamentally understand women's bodies in in a proper and thorough way? So never mind all the other barriers to women getting on the field of play. We we still haven't really cracked how women train around their periods. We're only in the in the infancy around that research and playing it out at an elite level. So there's just so much more to do, but I th- I think The short answer to your question is to use the data to look at the evidence and to really treat this as a serious academic problem that we need to address. When we come back from the break,
0: Anna digs deep into media messaging, money, and the pitfalls of comparing men's and women's sports. She also suggests what a healthier narrative for women's athletics might look like and how we could make it happen. Let's talk about social media. What role does that play in all of this, particularly how we tend to view women and girls in sports and fitness?
1: Yeah. Um, well, there, there was the whole hashtag #fitspo movement around the time that I was writing the book. And when you go on that hashtag, there's a lot of imagery that I find quite challenging and just to state first a disclaimer that women should be able to show up in any way or form they like, and that is absolutely their choice. But some of it I found troubling because it, it wasn't helpful. Some of it because, you know, that here were fitness influencers uh, purporting to show women how they could work out, but not actually demonstrating the correct postures for squats, for example, because... <laughs> What can you really see by looking at a woman's Mm -hmm. behind Mm -hmm. when you're (laughs) trying to learn the correct posture for squats? So, you know, how much of this stuff was becoming very performative and kind of objectified based? And I say... But that's problematic because I'm thinking about my generation of women who were not really taught how to to exercise or how to be strong or how to there's this whole education piece that was missing so we really need and we are thirsty for that knowledge of how to work out in a safe way but also in a positive way how do we work out in a way that is functional makes us stronger makes us healthier and fitter and um, but it's joyful and isn't about needing to sculpt your butt to be a certain way. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: I'd love to talk about media coverage uh, for a moment. There was a study that came out in 2021 and it examined how much TV airtime women's sports get. Do you know that number?
1: Um. Well, there's been a few
0: studies. Let me know. Yeah. Yeah. It's well, this one reported 5%, um, which is not obviously where it should be. But are there encouraging signals out there that suggest that this coverage gap will begin to close?
1: Yeah, there are. I mean, (laughs) when we hosted the 2012 Olympic Games in London, which for us was a real turning point for women's sport, it was an iconic moment. The following year, there was a study that showed that just 2% 2% of newspaper coverage was about women's sport. But fast forward, you know, a a decade, and things certainly in the UK are very much changing. Here, for the first time last season, we had a major broadcast deal where Sky Sports, uh, who are my new employers, and the BBC, shared the rights for the Women's Super League, so our elite women's football league here. And it was a, a really meaningful milestone moments in broadcasting of women's sport in this country first of all the fact that millions of pounds were paid in rights that were then going to go back into the sport to grow the sport which is really important but also the fact that for the first time there was going to be a really professional broadcast setup so in in the context of sky that means having you know like an interactive touch screen where women are talking about other women and tactical plays on the pitch Um, you know, we never really seen that before. So it is an exciting time. And the, and seeing the numbers rise for those broadcasts is very cool as well. People are obviously enjoying watching women's football. But is there enough of women's sport on TV or in the newspapers? Still,
0: no. Well, and what about money? You know, the Men's World Cup, I think, is an example of an event that draws billions of dollars, billions of viewers, Um, where do we stand in terms of investment, things like TV contracts, salary, advertising dollars in women's sport today?
1: Oh, God. I mean, (laughs) you know, even just the prize money gaps are ridiculous. And why does it matter? I mean, people get kind of get caught up in and say, like, why should a female footballer be paid the same amount? weekly wages as a Lionel Messi. But I don't think women are even asking for parity in that sense. Mm. You know, forget about the take-home salary for a moment and let's just think about facilities. Let's think about the fact that senior women sometimes even at the very elite level, can't access the field of play just to do their regular training because sometimes the boys teams from the very same football club, and I do mean boys, not men, are occupying that field. And so women don't have a training space or they have to wait until the boys are finished to get on the field and practice. You know, women don't have the same number of doctors or medical experts and then if you transpose that over the fact that we already don't know enough about women's bodies and so we probably actually really need more specialists looking at you know um, women who might be suffering from endometriosis uh, women who might be having issues around urinary incontinence which is very common in young female athletes and a complete taboo and not spoken about enough whether women want to become mothers um, and go through pregnancy or return from pregnancy and deal with postnatal challenges I mean there. are are so many barriers. So it's not just about the take-home pay or women wanting to drive fancier sports cars. It's like there's just not enough money all around for sport to really reach its true potential for women.
0: And you talked about this a little bit earlier in terms of why do we even compare men and women's sport? It's almost like an apples and oranges situation. Do you even think most people will define success in women's sport in terms of coverage and investment as when they reach a male equivalent?
1: Yes. And of course, that's probably never going to happen. hmm So what then will success look
0: like for women?
1: I think success looks like defining our own game or our own sports on our own terms. We have an opportunity. Yes, we are further behind in material terms to the men's game. But the opportunity that we have is that we are designing our game. We are growing and developing our game at a more advanced societal moment than the men's game ever was created in. And so how can we really make the most of that? How can we create a game that is just as exciting and as compelling, but doesn't have the toxicity. You know, the fact that over 80,000 were at Wembley and that I was able to get on the tube in an incredibly packed and very squished crowd with a very sleepy six-year-old and return home without any bother, without anybody being drunk, without anybody swearing at us, but actually a beautiful, supportive, caring, warm, happy, fun environment. I mean, you couldn't ask for more than that. I think that is a wonderful template to build a sport on and something that the men's game, I think, would actually quite love to have. So we have our own (laughs) assets. We just have to make sure that we value them properly and really cement them into our sports and into our games and not try to just literally mimic the men's game.
0: Yeah. How much of this reality was your motivation for why you chose to pursue this career?
1: That's a good question. I don't know. Sometimes (laughs) I think, how did I end up here? Because I, um, well, you know, because you've read the book, but I, I bunked all my PE lessons as a kid, Uh and I didn't really feel a connection to sport because it, it wasn't easy for women of my generation to feel that connection. And unfortunately, you know, as as the stats tell us, it's still not easy for women and girls today. Although I think at least there's much stronger messaging in society about why women and girls might engage with sport and playing, but. Yes, I think that when I think about the world and I think about sport and my generation and how we very easily rejected it, in my case, literally walking out the school gates when it was a PE lesson <laughs> and thinking that it's not something that I needed in my life and that I wouldn't be missing out. And then as, as I grew up, realising that sport is a very, very powerful arena that men and boys habitually, not all men and boys, but a lot of men and boys habitually play in. It's an arena where politicians mix and impress and fall over themselves to access its arena of huge wealth. It's an arena that can, you know, change government policy. The pressure on Iran at the moment, it's no coincidence that women were allowed <laughs> access to a men's football match in Iran this summer for the first time in 40 years. And public pressure and governing body pressure on women being able to access that but the fact that it happened for the first time after 40 years that's a very powerful potentially powerful societal shift that's happened through sport so to think that women and girls don't need sport is a mistake and I the way I think about it is like it's like living in your house or living in your flat and there's a room in your house or your flat that you can't go into that's a locked door And, you know, we wouldn't feel comfortable having a room in our house that our husbands or our partners or the men in our lives all have a key to that door, and we don't. Yeah, no thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, right? (laughs) So even if we're not massive football fans or not massive sports fans, let us walk into that room, have a look around, see what we think about it, see if we like it, and see if we want to spend time in it. We could walk straight out again and slam the door, that's fine, but we need to be able to go in and have a look.
0: Absolutely. You know, you were talking about some of the the challenges within the sport, and there's also abuse. And as you and I talk in October, an independent inquiry was just released, and they had findings of systemic emotional and sexual misconduct in the National Women's Soccer League here in the U.S. And some of the common themes amongst the players and in the reporting have been that, one, this is not a new issue – Two, this is not confined to North America. And three, that something has to be done. So what are your thoughts on this report and those themes?
1: Hmm. Um, Actually, just the mention of it makes my blood run cold. Mm -hmm. Some of the detail in that Yates report is really disturbing. Male coaches in positions of power abusing that power, um, weaponizing it in a way to control Female players, either through kind of sexual control or through controlling their access to success in the sport. (sighs) I mean, you know, we talked earlier about how sport can be this liberating play space for women. And that's how I want it to be. And then you have to kind of layer over the reality that there is also abuse that happens in sport and that sport is not a utopia and sport is flawed too. And I find that really really difficult actually. Yeah. In this country we haven't had this me too moment. And in America in the NWSL it's been building for a while and and stories have been coming out slowly over the last couple of years and big hats off to the journalists who have helped to uncover these stories and even more Absolute respect to the very, very brave players who have who have had the courage to share their stories because we know that the first individuals in particular who stand up are routinely discredited and pushed out of the game, pushed out the team, and suffer the trauma of that, suffer mental health problems, lose the joy of their sport, either have to leave their sport or leave the club. So big, big sacrifices are made for those athletes who do stand up. And it seems that we only really listen to women at the point where we have huge numbers of women standing up and saying there's a problem. We don't listen to them when there's one or two individuals, um, even when they're quite high profile. So I I think what's happened in the US, as awful as it is, is also inspiring. But I remain concerned that in this country, in the WSL, the Women's Super League, we haven't had this moment.
0: So what response do you think would be actionable would truly lead to change so that this doesn't continue to happen?
1: I think we really need a framework of behaviors. What is acceptable? some really strict guidelines about how coaches should conduct themselves but not just coaches um, managers uh, medical staff you know we've seen these issues in other sports too I'm thinking of a me too investigation in cycling and think about cycling or or other individual sports like tennis where athletes are travelling the world often quite young often on their own and often being surrounded by a largely male entourage and then the way that that dynamic plays out a very young girl on her own surrounded by older men who are in positions of power to advise and guide and steer and shape that young girl's career. And if they don't really understand the full responsibility of those roles and if they are comfortable with abusing their power in those roles, the result is something very damaging. So I think sport really needs to wake up and take this issue seriously and understand that the most important thing about sport is not just achieving a win, But it's also about developing a person and an athlete. And actually, that is the best way to achieve success in anyone's career, to develop a fully rounded, healthy, resilient person.
0: Well, this is a wonderful way, I think, for us to close this out. And it leads nicely. You keep segueing yourself beautifully into your own quotes from your book, which I love. Um, So I will read you one more quote from your book before we close out. This one is about social justice. And you wrote, I don't believe that every woman has to play a sport in order to be happy, but I do believe every woman and girl on this planet should have the right to move their bodies freely and playfully, free from inhibition, judgment, and oppression in any way they want to. And it's so good and it extends well beyond vertical sport into those just wanting to move their bodies and to feel the joy of movement. What do you remember, if you can, what was going on in your mind when you were crafting that phrase?
1: Um, I was thinking about when going back to, you know, when we were little little kids and I see it now in my daughters, you know, when you're just freely running around, you're feeling the wind in your hair, the thrill of going at speed or, you know, multiple cartwheels or rolling down a hill or climbing a tree really high um, or pedaling really, really fast on your bike or, or nailing roller skates for the first time or whizzing down a slope and the enjoyment that you get from that movement that isn't actually really like anything else. I don't think, I can't think of anything else that matches it. And then thinking about the self-consciousness that creeps in, particularly as we get older, particularly through puberty, where you start to realize these pressures of, of how you're supposed to show up as a woman or a girl. Um, that really are kind of rooted in stillness (laughs) where your hair stays in place and your mouth doesn't make embarrassing like weird gurning (laughs) kind of (laughs) expressions and your clothes are in place because God forbid that your skirt flies up or I don't know you know you get some mud on your knees or whatever it is um And how all of that self-consciousness suddenly kind of closes us down and really limits our power to be free and expressive, to try things out, to take risks, to fail, to fall, to end up on our arse and not care, maybe laugh about it. Um, And I guess I just want us to stop shutting women and girls down. And just allow them to continue that trajectory of freedom and confidence and exploration and play. Because I think it will just take us all, men and women, to a much better place. Well, I hope that everyone listening, whether you are a woman or a girl
0: or a male who wants to better understand how to support women and girls in the world of sport and fitness, I hope you remember this passage from Anna's book, write it down. Better yet, grab a copy, maybe share it with somebody else when you're done. I think we can all, you know, do what we can to try to change the narrative. Anna, thank you so much for your time today, all the amazing work that you're doing to bring more girls and women into sport and fitness and to bring women's sport to the world. It's amazing.
1: Thank you so much, Jack. That was a lovely conversation. Thank you for having me.
0: Freedom, confidence, exploration, play. I love that Anna highlights those words. We don't talk about them enough when we talk about movement, fitness, or competitive sports. I want to cultivate each of those values in my own life, and I want to encourage them in my child's. And if I could pick just one take-home message from my conversation with Anna, it's this. Our access to and celebration of freedom, confidence, exploration, and play has nothing to do with gender, or race, or body type for that matter, and everything to do with how and why we find joy in sport. On the next episode of Trained, we hear from sociologist Dr. Sabrina Strings, author of Fearing the Black Body. She'll discuss our enduring obsession with the so-called ideal female body and how it's been medicalized, stigmatized, fetishized, and yes, racialized. This has been Trained. Talk to you soon. If you've enjoyed this episode of Trained, help us spread the word by rating and reviewing the podcast. That way we can keep making great episodes for you to listen to. And it helps other people find us too. If you've got a question for me or my guests or a topic you'd like to see covered, email me at trained at nike.com and I'll see what I can do. Thanks for listening to Trained. Just a reminder, always talk with your doctor before starting any training
1: or nutrition program. The information we provide isn't a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, and the individual opinions expressed here are just that, opinions.